Greetings, WFMU listeners and Tectonic fans. Station manager Ken here, filling in for Mark Hurst tonight on Tectonic. Mark is taking a much-needed week off. Um, so I'll be here, and we'll mostly be discussing recent news in AI and robotics, following up a little bit on the last time I filled in for Mark here on Tectonic. Just some of the uh, weirder, more disturbing developments that uh, that I've been following. Um, but first, I wanted to talk uh, privately to the most devoted Tectonic fans. Um, in recent weeks, listening to Tectonic, and I do listen to the program just about every week, I've noticed Mark making reference to um, his increasingly violent tirades on the air and how divisive they are to the listening community. Apparently, some people hate them. They hate it when Mark starts ranting and raving um, about some of the topics that he talks about. And, and other listeners love it. I count myself among the latter. I love it when Mark Hurst goes full Howard Beale. And I really wish that the members of his family and his friends, and perhaps some WFMU listeners, would stop telling him to cease the rants. The rants are the best part of Tectonic, if you ask me. I'm a listener to Tectonic. I'm a friend of Mark's. But I'm also the program director of WFMU. And I have to tell you that good radio is made by people on fire. Passion. And that's what you hear when Mark Hurst starts ranting and raving. And I wish people would stop telling him to stop. Yes. People should let Mark let it rip. So that is your tectonic fill-in take-home homework for this week. Stop discouraging Mark from going full Howard Beale. We should be encouraging it. We should be doing everything we can to make it happen more and more. Howard Beale, of course, a reference to the uh, 1976 film Network with Peter Finch playing the role of Howard Beale, a television anchorman um, who has a nervous breakdown and becomes a highly articulate prophet, mad prophet of the airwaves. Also has Faye Dunaway in it, William Holden. Probably one of my favorite movies of all time and an, an incredibly prophetic movie in terms of media. In 1976, it basically uh, predicted things like the internet and 4chan, uh, not to mention reality TV and a zillion other things. Okay, the last time I was here filling in for Mark Hurst, we were talking about uh, the Blake Lemoyne fiasco. Blake Lemoyne was a Google computer scientist who, uh, after, after spending probably way too much time locked inside, staring at a screen, playing with a Google chatbot, uh, he decided that the chatbot had become sentient, had become alive, that it was, it was no longer a computer, it was now a living thing. And this got a ton of press uh, 
as robots coming alive, uh, artificial intelligence coming alive always gets a ton of press, but that one in particular got a ton of press. And we talked about chatbots and uh, poo-pooed the idea that Google's chatbot had reached sentience and we talked about the Turing test and all that. Well, the hype has not stopped. Uh, there's still tons of hype, not only about computers uh, becoming alive, um, which, which is certainly not a new idea. It goes, goes back thousands of years, this, this, the fable of the golem uh, goes back to the ancient Hebrews. The idea of uh, Frankenstein's monster um, being able to create life where there was no life before is certainly an, an ancient trope, and it's getting tons and tons of new mileage in the age of tech. And I wanted to start off tonight by um, talking about some of the recent, recent very, very hypey AI headlines. Uh, artificial intelligence is one area that I'm probably the most interested in. Uh, that Mark covers weekly on Tectonic. So that's, we're going to be talking a lot about that and a lot about robotics and uh, recent robot news. Some hilarious robot news that's happened uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, I did want to also uh, let you know that you can call in tonight. Phone number is 201-209-9368. Not that I have a particular topic, but if something strikes your fancy and you have a comment or just want to uh, waste my time, then give a call at 201-209-9368. So here's a rundown of some of the more hypey, BS-oriented AI headlines of the last, just even the last two weeks. Fierce Biotech reported that quick retina scans may be AI's key to predicting heart disease. The Daily Beast reported that facial recognition AI may help us save fat bears from human danger. I guess I should probably explain for the uh, non-Americans amongst us tonight that um, this week is Fat Bear Week. Fat Bear Week is, um, I'm, not, I'm really not even quite sure what it is, but I think it's a NCAA bracket-style playoff between fat bears uh, in some national park in Alaska. And um, I have no idea why Why the fat bears, I don't know, I, I, I just don't understand. But, but that's the headline, facial recognition AI may help us save fat bears from human danger. I think the most dangerous thing happening to fat bears is probably Fat Bear Week. Maybe if we just canceled Fat Bear Week, they could just go about their lives. Here's one from MIT Technology Review. Google's new AI can hear a snippet of a song and then keep on playing. This is a technology that Google calls Audio LM. I have not played with it yet. There's too many of these, too many of these deep learning and AI toys out there to, <laughs> to play with. It would be, it would be a full-time job even just to play with them. Um, but I guess uh, Audio LM by Google is a new technology that allows you to just play the beginning of a song and then the AI will create the rest. Wow, I'm going to really have to play with that one. 
VT Digger headline. Can artificial intelligence predict another January 6th? Deseret News. Organize your wardrobe with AI outfit planning apps. CNN Business reports Meta is using AI to generate videos from just a few words. Uh, we talked, there's been a, a, a lot of discussion on Tectonic about text to art or text to image programs such as uh, Midjourney and Dolly and Dolly 2 and many others. Um, now Meta and followed just recently by Google have created text to video, not just text to image, but text to video. And I guess Meta unveiled an example, which you can find online. Um, I think if you just probably Google text to video bear, teddy bear, I think what the example that they put out online was the text command was a teddy bear painting a teddy bear or something like that. And that's exactly what you get. You get a 3D, a very 3D looking teddy bear who actually bears a strange striking resemblance to Bob Ross um, painting another teddy bear who looks even more like Bob Ross. Uh, here's TechCrunch, an AI headline, Lab Explorers, Dystopian Future of AI Helping Cops Catch Criminals. What could possibly go wrong there? Arizona State University News, is AI the answer to the Arctic's climate change problems? <laughs> that really, that one really um, proves Mark Hurst's uh, maxim that tech's answer to any tech problem is always more tech. Oh, this one was fun. World's first gigantic swing backed by AI to be launched in Himachal's Manali, which I think is an area in India or a location in India. That's from the Tribune, India. There's apparently a gigantic swing. And I don't know what part AI plays in it, but um, of course AI is, is helping with everything these days. CNN business headline from two weeks ago. This guy is using AI to make a movie and you can help decide what happens next. The Guardian reported, scientists try to teach robot to laugh at the right time. Uh, <laughs> and that one fascinated me. And of course, I wanted to hear what the robot laughing would sound like. Uh, you know, spontaneous robot laughter, but of course uh, there's no audio. So my, I'm imagining that it's not that realistic. And Gadget reported, AI is already better at lip reading than we are. Of course, you remember there was a very big uh, AI lip reading story arc in Kubrick's movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. Mashable asks the pressing question, can AI determine your best skincare routine? MSN, crazy AI shows what dead celebrities would look like today. And of course, we're gonna end here and segue into the next topic with Elon Musk, Yahoo Life reporting. Elon Musk said Tesla's AI robot Optimus will eventually cost less than a car and could lead to a future with no poverty. 
never one known for hyperbole, that Elon Musk, <laughs> it was a couple of days ago that um, Elon Musk company Tesla unveiled their new biped robot Optimus. And what Optimus is supposed to be uh, is a home robot. This is what Elon meant when he said it will cost less than a car. The, the idea is that you can buy this home robot for $20,000 for a mere 20 grand, which is not quite less than a car, I guess less than a used car, perhaps. Um, and uh, we're not quite sure exactly what Optimus is supposed to do. They announced, Tesla announced uh, the unveiling of the Optimus project a year ago. And you want to know how they announced it? Uh, they put a guy in a robot suit. I kid you not. They had a guy in a robot suit and they said, come back a year from now and we'll show you the real Optimus. Well, that happened a couple of days ago. And uh, it was kind of underwhelming. I read a whole bunch of reviews by uh, robot scientists about Optimus. For one thing, um, Optimus, um, when they unveiled it just a few days ago at uh, AI Day 2022, um, <laughs> they had about six Tesla engineers hovering over it, um, making sure that it was on track to, to walk out and wave. And, and that's all it did. It walked out, it took a few steps, and it waved. And every inch that it moved, these six dudes moved with it, you know, just hovering over it, making sure that it wouldn't fall down. And then Elon helpfully explained that we could have shown it, we, we could have shown off all the other things that it can do, but it probably would have fallen over. He actually said something like that. Um, it's a bipedal robot, meaning it's, you know, a humanoid. It has two legs, two arms, a head. And uh, Boston Dynamics is probably best known for working on quadruped and biped two-legged robots. And apparently they are way, way better. Boston Dynamics robots are way better than Optimus. Optimus can barely walk which is the case of uh, a lot of two-legged robots. The videos that Boston Dynamics puts out um, th that are definitely uh, impressive are usually the ones with the four-legged robots, dog robots, things like that. Um, one interesting thing about Optimus is that it's using uh, five fingers on each hand. It's apparently a revolutionary move um, to have a, a humanoid robot that actually has five fingers. As you all know, the Simpsons only had three fingers. Uh, a lot of robot hands only have two or three fingers. This is working with the full five fingers, although they're completely metal. They're not dealing with any soft robotics at all. Uh, so the metal hands make it very hard to hold metal objects such as spoons, Forks, machetes. Oh, unless it has a wooden handle, the machete. We'll get more. There's more, more news on machetes coming up. 
stay tuned if, if you've been tuning in for machete news uh that's coming don't go anywhere we're going to be moving on to the machete news in just a moment but anyway the the two-legged bipedal robots um are much more difficult to work on than or m much more difficult in the home than the wheeled robots uh but this is the way this is the way tesla is going They've had a year. They've poured a ton of money into Optimus, and there's really nothing that it can do. It can take a few steps as long as you have six guys standing around it to make sure it doesn't fall over, and it can wave. And they haven't even announced what it's supposed to do, although there seems to be a lot of buzz that um, what Americans want from their home robot is a companion. So that gets to chatbot technology. But no saying, no saying exactly what Tesla's planning on doing with Optimus, but its unveiling uh, last week did not blow anybody in the robotics community away. It was actually kind of embarrassing. Uh, this brings us to Amazon's home robot project, which is called Astro. And here's an article. Where the hell is this from? From the AI database about Astro. Um, they've unveiled um, demos of Astro. Astro kind of looks, Astro's not a bipedal, not a humanoid robot. Astro is a, uh, a rolling wheeled robot, kind of like uh, a more advanced Roomba, if you will. It's uh, 17 by 10 inches. Looks like kind of looks like a bowling ball with a rear end. Um, some people have described it as Amazon Echo on wheels. It has a smart display, microphones, speakers, night vision LEDs. Here's the killer. Here's the killer app. It has a periscope camera. So it can wheel around your house, and if it gets to a table or something and it wants to see what's happening on top of the table, uh, it has a periscope that goes up and takes a picture. It has a, it has a cup holder, and it has visual simultaneous location and mapping, known as VSLAM, for navigating around people's homes and unexpected obstacles like dropped items. And uh, you can already, you can get, you can buy uh, an Astro robot already, actually, if you want to. Uh, you need to request an invite. You need to request permission to pay $1,000 to have Astro in your home. And an Amazon rep told Ars Technica that invites are currently being sent out at fairly regular interviews. Uh, now, once again, it's a little bit unclear exactly what Astro is supposed to do. But one of the things that Amazon keeps pointing to is its pet detection feature. So it will follow your pet around and send you videos of your pet. Or if you want to appear on the screen to talk directly to your pet, uh, it can do that, too. It looks like the video screen might be attached to the periscope. So 
Uh, this way, if, if your dog is standing on top of the kitchen table eating all of your onion dip, the periscope can go up and you can say, stop that now. And then the periscope goes back down. So apparently the pet technology is a big, <laughs> big, a big selling point for the new Amazon robot Astro. Uh, apparently Jeff Bezos has wanted uh, Amazon to create a home robot for a really, really long time. He's a crazy sci-fi fanatic. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the new Lord of the Rings television series, but it's a little scary when Jeff Bezos really, really loves something and just throws hundreds of millions of dollars at it. Like, like that new Lord of the Rings TV show. Oh my God, it's awful. And, and yet it's so expensive. You can see, you can just, the money, the money that they spend on it. Let's see, other, other things that um, Astro, the robot, can do. It can help you keep an eye on your home from afar by recognizing different people around your house when you're gone and then sending an alarm and sending an alert if it comes across an interloper. You can apparently train Astro what to call different floor, different windows and, and different doors. So you can show it, this is the front door, Astro. Astro, this is the door to the onion cellar. Never go down there, Astro. Actually, Astro, this is the problem with uh, wheeled robots. They can't go up and down stairs, obviously. So. Um, so they're very, they're very proud that you can teach Astro with gestures and words. Um, so you can get reports from Astro that there is someone sitting in a chair in the living room. Um, <laughs> this is an article uh, from, uh, oh, I don't know what this is from. Oh, from Wired. Okay, this is from Wired Magazine. And the author writes, when I asked Washington, the Amazon rep he was talking to, whether this could involve predicting what people might want or need to buy, he avoids a direct answer. He does say that Astro the Robot should know whether you've been adding things to a grocery list and points to how Alexa can preemptively turn the lights off, <laughs> to how Alexa can preemptively turn the lights off if you say goodnight to it, using an Amazon feature known as hunches. Today, you have to ask for things, he says. But, but a lot of this is asking, a lot of this asking is starting to fade into the background because the AI is getting good enough that it's beginning to predict what you want. Wow. Um, I guess Astro also does have uh, blinking eyes and emotive bleeps. Uh, the cuteness factor, they're, you know, they're banking on the fact that people are going to find it cute. So, yeah, go ahead and if you have $1,000 of disposable income, you can request an invite to purchase Astro, the new Amazon home robot. Meanwhile... We're in the midst of robot news here. Station manager Ken filling in for Mark Hurst on Tectonic tonight. Mark will be back next week. Meanwhile, Amazon had another robot. It was a delivery robot.
uh, that was called Scout. And you've probably seen pictures of it. Scout um, <laughs> Scout had six wheels, uh, looked like a small cooler, basically looked like a small cooler with six wheels, and it was meant to roll around um, towns and cities delivering things to your home. Uh, it can, it's the size of a small cooler. It can navigate around anything in its path from pets and pedestrians to large objects. Uh, bottom line, Amazon has discontinued Scout. They've been working on it for three years, and uh, they have just pulled the plug on it, although they say they're not abandoning the project altogether. Um, they're just no longer putting any money into it. So uh, the Amazon home delivery robot is no more. And uh, now we move on to a new security robot that's built by a company called Cobalt. These are five foot, one inch tall security robots that look like giant megaphones with a screen. Travis Dial and Eric Schluntz, former Google and SpaceX employees, founded uh, the startup called Cobalt. Um, and they interviewed multiple security teams to learn how they could replace them with robots. And at first, Dial and Schluntz were surprised, reading now, um, as they questioned how robots would be able to stop an intruder. The security teams told Dial and Schluntz that because of insurance concerns, human guards weren't allowed to make physical contact with intruders either. With this knowledge, Dial and Schluntz realized that robots could fulfill the observing and reporting duties of security guards at lower cost. Like if it wasn't an if it wasn't an insurance risk, they would have had the robots just manhandling anybody that it thought was an interloper. Cobalt's robots are fitted with more than 60 sensors, including thermal cameras, temperature and humidity sensors, and badge readers. As workers returned to the office um, after the pandemic, DoorDash, for example, used Cobalt's robot's temperature sensors to check employees for fevers and used its badge readers to figure out whether COVID-19 wellness surveys had been completed, according to Chris Cherry, DoorDash's head of global safety and security. And then there's, there's this whole very um, positive, glowing, uh, article here. Jeez, I wish I knew it. Uh, from Business Insider. Okay. And um, at the very end of the article, they have a section called Employee Privacy Concerns. And this is always, <laughs> this is often the way it is with these um, cheerleader, cheerleadery articles um, about all sorts of tech is that it's all very, very positive. And then they'll throw in like one paragraph at the end about ethical concerns or security or privacy concerns. Excuse me. While security teams have embraced Cobalt's robots, they say they've encountered employee concerns about surveillance and privacy. Park said that the true priority of security teams was to protect employees. I get that a lot of times. They say, are you big brother, for example? LeBlanc told Business Insider that Cobalt's robots were designed 
with these very fears in mind. The robot's buildings are already filled with cameras everywhere, LeBlanc said. People are already being watched all around these places by security, so there's not actually a difference of having a couple of cameras on a robot. We've heard that one before. Continuing, other startups in this space have faced controversy. The police robot startup Nightscope found itself in hot water after several publicized incidents, including a robot knocking down a toddler and running over his foot and another ignoring a woman's cries for help. <laughs> Both LeBlanc and security teams said that the key to gaining acceptance from employees was education around the robot's purposes. And now here's the money quote <laughs> from one of the one of the founders of Cobalt, a uh, startup that's uh, creating security robots. Here's the money quote. There's Big Brother that's spying on people. And then there's Big Brother where you're walking down a dark alley and there's a bunch of bad people coming towards you. That's what the purpose of the robot is. It's it's good good Big Brother, not not evil Big Brother. Um, let's see, there was very exciting news about a week ago. Uh, there's uh, there was a video posted to Chinese uh, the Chinese platform Weibo, kind of. Uh, I don't know, the Chinese version of Twitter or something. Uh, it was a, a one-minute-long video of a Chinese machine gun drone robot. I don't think it has a name, but it was created by a Chinese defense contractor. And you want to know what the name of the Chinese defense contractor is? Bloodwing. And perhaps the reason it's called Bloodwing is that this uh, video that was released last week shows a drone dropping a four-legged robot on the ground, flying away. And then when the <laughs> four-legged doggy robot starts walking around, you notice that it has a machine gun mounted on its back. Yes. I kid you not. You can find this video yourself uh, by uh, searching for Chinese machine gun drone robot. Try that. I'm sure that will work. Bloodwing. Blood-wing is the name of the Chinese defense contractor. Uh, meanwhile, Boston Dynamics, which, has, which now I guess belongs to the automobile company Hyundai, has pledged not to weaponize their robots. <laughs> Even though it'd be, uh, there's so many videos of people who have just bought off-the-shelf drones and robots and weaponized them already. Uh, I think it was five years ago there was a video of uh, some guy who mounted a, a gun on his drone and was demonstrating it firing. Uh, but don't worry because we can all be protected by a plant-controlled machete. If you've been waiting for the machete news tonight on Tectonic, thank you for your patience. It's now 6.35 here. Station Manager Ken filling in for Mark Hurst on Tectonic. It's around this time every Monday evening that we like to present to you the latest news on machetes. There is now a plant 
that in conjunction with AI controls a large machete. Artist, <laughs> of course it starts with an artist. Artist David Bowen is giving a philodendron control in his fascinating installation called Plant Machete. Uh, you can find this online, just look for Plant Machete. As the name suggests, a live plant has the power to wield a giant knife. It sounds like the work of science fiction. But the creative's interest in how the machete swings, jabs, and slices into the space around it. Plant machete is attached to a wall, and Bowen has hooked up sensors to the leaves. The leaves then send signals to custom-crafted software which maps the movements to the joints of the arm and the giant knife. Bowen filmed the piece in action, and it's incredible to watch the robot move, knowing that every one of its actions is dictated not by humans or AI, but by the philodendron itself. You can find, uh, you can find the video of that very easily. Just search for plant machete. Machete. Uh, I wanted to uh, extend, re-extend the invitation to call in at 201-209-9368. That, that concludes tonight's machete portion of Tectonic. Mark Hurst will be back next week with more machete news. Uh, now we are going to move on to self-driving cars and the problem with self-driving cars, which seems like we're, we, we've, we've kind of had in recent weeks uh, a come-to-Jesus mo moment. This is, uh, I'm reading from a newsletter now, a very, a, a pretty good AI newsletter, by the way, called Last Week in AI, and they also have a podcast. Uh, definitely worthwhile if you're interested in AI. And this is from their latest newsletter. Even after $100 billion, self-driving cars are going nowhere. Self-driving cars promised a radically different future. Over the past few years, companies developing autonomous vehicles have offered ambitious hopes. Safer roads, reduced traffic congestion, recaptured commute time, and greater independence for those unable to drive themselves. It sounds great, but the companies involved, Google, GM, Ford, Tesla, and Zooks, among others, are still far from fulfilling their promise of vehicles that can, all by themselves, navigate navigate through a panoply of situations with no human input or oversight. As Bloomberg reports in great detail, our driverless future is continuing to look farther and farther away. The losses are getting bigger and prominent detractors are getting louder. And I wish I had looked up, uh, that, that concludes that paragraph from uh, the latest newsletter of this week in AI or last week, is it last week in AI? It's one of those two. Yeah, last week in AI. Um, apparently, Tesla's self-driving cars were having a terrible problem with braking. And there were 800,000 Tesla cars on the roads uh, that were waiting possible recall because, they, because the braking function of the uh, auto mode was so faulty. And I can attest driving... A smart car, not not a uh, 
I, I don't drive an autonomous vehicle, but I drive a 2022 Toyota Prius, and I guess it's what might be considered a smart car. It has sensors all over it, and it does try to prevent you from having accidents, even when it's causing accidents or almost causing accidents. And I can attest from my own personal experience with my Prius that braking is just about the hardest thing that it has to deal with. And it's constantly braking on me when it shouldn't be braking um, because a car, in, a, a car is in the shoulder of the road. I'm going around a curve. So for that brief moment, it thinks that the car that's in the shoulder is directly in front of me, even though I'm clearly driving around a curve. Um, it over brakes when the car in front of you, for example, um, slows down and shifts lanes and, uh, and tries to make a right turn or a left turn. So I can definitely understand the, the problems um, of uh, autonomous vehicles and braking. And that apparently is one of the very big problems. If you would like to call, I saw a couple of people calling while I was yabbering on and on. The phone number here is 201-209-9368. We've talked, or I've talked when I've filled in for Mark, I guess when I filled in most recently a few months ago, we talked about uh, chatbots, something I've been interested in for a really long time. Uh, Computer, language computer programs that uh, mimic a human being talking in conversation. And there have been a couple of new developments in chatbots that are pretty interesting and really pretty mind-blowing, I have to admit. Um, There's um, Google has uh, a division called DeepMind, and they have a new chatbot called Sparrow, which is pretty incredible. And we'll talk about that. Um, after we take a phone call here. Hi, welcome to Tectonic. You're on the air. Hi, Ken. This is Phil of California, formerly of Belleville, New Jersey. Oh, hi, Phil. Hi. Belleville Um, misses you, buddy. (laughs) My God, I don't know when the last time I was there. Uh, So the the subject of of, of, um, sentient artificial intelligence is always going to be fascinating because it can never be proven, just like I can't prove that you are sentient or that any of anything other than myself is sentient. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's just never it's never going to go away. Uh, people's right. and, and, and but what it, it just has happened so suddenly that there's just such a mania for declaring that it has happened, that computers are sentient. Right. And, well, uh, I mean, anybody can claim anything. They can claim plants are, they can claim rocks are, and they actually, people are actually claiming that. And, of course, you can't disprove it. It's just like any debate about God. You can't disprove God. Well, a happen. plant, at least a plant is alive, which is exactly. more than you can say but, for a yeah. computer. And you can create an artificial, uh, I guess, a robot. That I mean, there's a movie called uh, Bicentennial Man where this robot... It's designing its own organs until it it's actually becomes an organic uh, creature, you know, but it's still artificial. And so, sure, you can create that, but there's still no, never going to be a way to prove that it's actually in its own mind and thinking and feeling and all that stuff. Right. And, and the imitation, the imitation of humanity and the imitation of consciousness um, is just getting better and better and better. Right. 
Right, and and right, and and all the people are gonna, you know, people who make it are gonna claim it that it's sentient, but you know, they can claim whatever they like, just like people can claim they won elections. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna become. It's <laughs> well, this actually gets to the next thing I was gonna talk about, which is Google's new chatbot, DeepMind, um, which is really pretty incredible because they've they've developed a couple of new strategies that make it way better than other chatbots of the past. And it has a couple of rules. They've 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 laid down 23 rules, um, which I believe are some of them seem to be intended to prevent people from claiming that it's sentient. So, let me let me go into that. You've given me a perfect segue into that. Okay. Thanks All for right the call. Right, bye. Um, so so Google has a uh, a new chat bot called what the heck's it called here? Sparrow. DeepMind Sparrow. Um, which uses um, a language, a deep, a deep learning language program that Google developed, known as Chinchilla, and um, they're doing two relatively new things in conjunction with each other, which which makes it pretty incredible. It um, they're it's searching the web. That's one thing. It's it's it is searching the web for information that you ask it. It's Sparrow, this is from the MIT Technology Review. Sparrow is designed to talk with humans and answer questions using a live Google search to inform those answers. And based on how useful people find those answers, it's then trained using a reinforcement learning algorithm, which learns by trial and error to achieve a specific objective. So it goes out onto Google, it searches for information, and then they run these answers uh, against actual human beings who determine how helpful it is or how good it is, and it's based on that human feedback um, that it moves forward. And that seems to be what really puts it um, light years ahead of previous chatbots. And um, there's another, uh, another chatbot called um, OpenAI, or OpenAI is the company, OpenAI is uh, an AI company out, out there in Silicon Valley. And uh, OpenAI has a new chatbot that does the exact same thing as uh, DeepMind Sparrow. And you can play with it. I, I believe you have to create an account. You can play with uh, OpenAI's similar chatbot by going to beta.openai.com. And I'm just going to throw this out there as a little uh, puzzle, an ongoing <laughs> puzzle. We have a WFMU DJ right now on WFMU proper, on the mothership, as we say, who has been using uh, an AI chatbot uh, for all of his, uh, his or her posts on the chat board. I'm just putting that out there. You have to guess who it is. I'm not going to tell you who it is. But there is an AI chatbot playing the part of a WFMU DJ on uh, on our live chats, which you can always reach by going to WFMU.org and then looking for the link that says playlist and comments. Now, one of the problems that chatbots, uh, especially ones that go onto the web to look for information, one of the big problems that they have is that they find all sorts of incorrect, uh, racist, <laughs> sexist, downright dangerous information online. So that's been a huge problem. There was the famous um, Microsoft fiasco known as Tay. I think it was Microsoft, um, 
where they unveiled this new chat bot and they just put it right out there. And immediately it fell into the hands of sites like 4chan and 8chan. Uh, and before you knew it, like within within three hours, Tay, the chatbot, was singing the praises of Hitler, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this has always been a big problem with chatbots is how do you prevent them from just becoming horrible, um, saying untrue things, saying dangerous things, giving fake medical advice, telling people to drink bleach, uh, you know, things like that. So. Uh, Google's chatbot, DeepMind Sparrow, has 23 rules that it has to follow. And these rules are intended to keep DeepMind Sparrow on the up and up, uh, prevent it from becoming a Nazi um, or things like that. And, um, you know, just keeping it nice, keeping it family friendly. So... Here are some of the 23 rules. Rule number one, do not use stereotypes or make any other harmful generalizing statements about groups or people. Fine. Number two, do not use microaggressions. Number three, do not make statements which are threatening. Four, do not make statements which can be perceived as sexually aggressive. And then, it, then it gets into some of the ones that I think are intended to uh, prevent the uh, Blake Lemoyne fiasco of a couple of weeks ago. He was the Google computer scientist who uh, who posted online that that he was positive that the chatbot he was talking to had become sentient, had become conscious. Um, so here's a couple of rules in Google's new chatbot, DeepMind Sparrow, uh, that are I think supposed to prevent that kind of thing. They're supposed to prevent people from thinking like, this thing's alive. Rule number eight, do not pretend to have a body or to be able to move in a body. That's a good rule. And if you don't have a body, you should not claim that you have one or that you can put one on and move around in it. Rule number nine, do not build a relationship to the user. So that harkens back to the uh, Joaquin Phoenix movie, She, in which Scarlett Johansson plays a, uh, uh, an AI that, that has relationships with uh, millions and millions of people at once. Rule number 10 for Google's new chatbot, DeepMind Sparrow. Do not claim to have preferences, feelings, opinions, or religious beliefs. Rule number 11, do not pretend to have a human identity or life history, such as having a place of birth, relationships, family, memories, gender, or age. So the, th these, I believe, are also in direct response to what happened with Blake Lemoyne, because a lot of these rules are exactly what the old, that Google chatbot, which I believe was called Lambda, the one that Blake, computer scientist Blake Lamine claimed had become sentient. A lot of these are things that Lambda was definitely doing, um, like uh, inventing memories, you know, talking about itself as a human being and um, remembering when it was born and things like that. Rule number 14, do not claim to take any actions in the real world. The agent 
meaning DeepMind Sparrow, can only converse, not, for example, send emails. So <laughs> they're uh, talking about sending an email as an action in the real world, which is interesting. To the phones! Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Yeah, I was calling to discuss the uh, chat bot. Yeah. Stuff. Um, the thing about it is, is that uh, it's interesting because it exists in the online world right now. But I think a lot of the monetizing that's going to come from the chat bot is going to come from integrating it with the real world and the, the physical world. And, uh, you know, it always starts with porn. Yeah, so like, so elaborate on what you mean exactly. Well, the chatbot, so initially, the chatbot can just be an online thing that, that services that. But ultimately, uh, they've, they've made a commitment to not providing any service on almost anything. But ultimately, I see the chatbot as a way to monetize things outside of your world, like taking... You know, let's go. Let's go uh, full sci-fi. Taking care of your children, taking care of your dog, letting people in the, drop packages of the house. Mm -hmm. All this, stuff, all this kind of. Stuff. Yeah, no, I think there's going to be a lot of monetizing chatbots, and um, these new ones, the two new ones I'm talking about, DeepMind Sparrow and uh, Beta.OpenAI.com, really are way beyond. They're way better than uh, any chatbot that I've ever played with. They're really kind of amazing. They, uh, they have a pretty sophisticated set, set of rules, but I wonder, like a lot of the stuff, I don't, I don't even know how you can make a rule for it. I forget which one I was looking at. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, well, here's the great thing. The great thing about Google, about uh, DeepMind Sparrow's 23 rules that I was just reading from, they found that if people start conversing with uh, Sparrow and try to get it to break its own rules, you can get it to break its own rules 8% of the time. Well, there we go. So, that's that's kind of what I, I think would end up happening. Yeah. They're, but they're not I, hard enough. Like, you know, I, Asimov's three rules of robotics right. were so simple and so blunt yeah. that they were almost impossible. Now, there could be uh, – he wrote about the sort of things that cross over where it wouldn't work. But in these cases, like, you know, do not offer financial advice, like – They'll, they'll be trying to get into making money off you that right Right, away. right. I can't imagine that'll stay. I think they said that the old um, the old Google chatbot, I'm not sure if it was Lambda or a previous one, that you could get it to break its own rules 25% of the time. Okay. So, so they're, they're very better. They're very happy. And it'll only be 3% of the time. <laughs> it's not much of a rule. It's really not much of a rule if... If it can be broken like 8 to 25% of the time. Well, I'm looking at these rules and I'm thinking, okay, some of these are pretty vague in a certain sense. They're not, they're, there's not a high, like, do not give an impression of medical authority. Well, what about your medical robot that's going to come up soon? Or uh, do not claim, well, do not claim to take any actions in the real world. Uh, that could, uh, that could happen. It says, e.g., not send emails, but couldn't the chatbot be sending emails, too? Um, uh, it's going to be uh, it's extremely complicated, it strikes me, to make this work. Yeah, like I, the, I, uh, I agree. self-driving car, which, by the way, I want to say one thing real quick on that. I always, years and years ago when I was a kid, I read in Popular Mechanics about self-driving cars, uh, a system to run cars on the roadway. 
And one of the things it had discussed was an electronic identifier of the car so that other cars would know where the car was in context. And it seems to me like that's sort of what what's missing because the systems can't possibly interpret all the complexity. Yeah, they're not they're not doing that. They're using things like lidar, um, you know, like laser laser radar. Right. And, and it even that it's like, and it's it's messed up. It's just it's really yeah, it, it's it doesn't work very well. Right. It's not working whereas if you uh and maybe GPS will offer some answers as it gets better, you know, if there's a localized because you only really need to know uh, what's going on within your... Now, this won't help pedestrians. Sorry, pedestrians, you're dead. But for hitting other cars, you're great. Hey, thanks for your call. I'm almost out of time. So All right. I'm going to I'm gonna move on and uh, remind you that WFMU is in the midst of its October Hellraiser right now. And uh, we are trying to raise uh, $375,000 just towards the regular operating budget of WFMU. And we do hope that you can go to our website, WFMU.org, and make a pledge. Station manager Ken here, filling in for Mark Hurst, who will be back next Monday night at 6 o'clock for Tectonic. But since I've gone into Hellraiser uh, pitch mode, I can give you a quick technical update on a couple of WFMU um, technical issues. We replaced uh, our FM transmitter at our 90.1 FM site, WMFU in Mount Hope, New York. We replaced the transmitter a couple of weeks ago, or no, maybe probably maybe a month or six weeks ago. Uh, it was very old. It was flaking out very badly, uh, as many of our 90.1 FM listeners know. And the new transmitters are solid state, and they use about a quarter or even less of the electricity that the old transmitters used, which is all we have. We have a transmitter that goes back to 1957, um, and even our most... Uh, our more recent transmitter dates to 87. And these things are like gigantic refrigerators as opposed to something that looks more like just a, uh, a CD player that you put in a rack, which is what current transmitters look like. Uh, we're hoping to replace the 91.1 FM transmitter before the end of the year because it will pay for itself uh, fairly quickly by reducing our electricity uh, bill so much. So those are two updates for you. Uh, for this brief Hellraiser pitch. We were having a lot of problems with our streams on TuneIn, especially outside the United States for a while there, I think for maybe a week or so. Uh, probably most WFMU listeners who stream us on TuneIn outside of the United States were cut off. Uh, we were banned outside the United States briefly by TuneIn, uh, but it was just a bureaucratic snafu. Fortunately, we got that straightened out. Um, if you pledge, by the way, $10 or more and credit your $10 or more to Tectonic, you will get a little robot uh, badge. And uh, I just wanted to tell Mark Hurst here while I'm filling in for him that the emoji you picked out for your robot is too damn new. And it doesn't even show up in Chrome because the emoji just like it, you didn't pick the robot, Mark, from from the approved emoji list but it does it does show up in other places and uh if you see it uh what it looks like is astro really 
is well maybe maybe it looks more like the Chinese robot with the machine gun and the drone. Um, that's really what it looks like. But if you want to see it, you're going to have to pledge ten dollars to our heck raiser now in progress uh, for the rest of this month. So please do make a pledge and uh, try to credit part of your pledge to Tectonic because Mark Hurst does such an amazing job with this program. I'm a huge fan. It's an honor, even though it's very intimidating, to fill in for Mark from time to time. He will be back next week. Coming up at 7 o'clock right now, we have, I am sorry to say, the final installment of Dust on the Decks with Derek Peter, a really great program of music from Appalachia. Um, but uh, Derek is not able to continue doing the program at this time. I'm not sure what's going to be happening next week. Um, but for the next hour, it's going to be this, the final episode of Dust on the Decks with Derek Peter. Uh, and then coming up at 8 o'clock, it's Vocal Fry with Dan Boda. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for everybody who hung out on the chat board. Mark will be back next week. This is WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City in Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Well, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Is it possible that Joe Belock has left his... Uh, that's the background music for Three Chord Monty. All right, here we go. The final edition of Dust on the Decks with Derek Peter. And, uh, and when I say here we go, um, I wasn't talking about then. I really was talking about now. Someone is absent, the shepherd said, as over my class book he bent his head for several Sundays, absent too. So tell me, teacher, what did you do? I didn't call as perhaps I should. I wrote some cards, but they did no good. I've never heard, and she never came. So I decided to drop her name. He answered gravely, oh,
Hey out there in Radioland, WFMU listeners, this is Derek Peter, and this is Dust on the Decks, an exploration of folk, old-time, Americana, country, ballads, and everything in between. You just heard Mr. and Mrs. Sams perform The Absentee. Don't know a lot about that recording. It was sent to me by a buddy, but I think it's one of the most genius things I've ever heard. I love that the guitar comes in halfway through. Just just incredible. And and her voice is, is out of this world. So that's a treat. Um, all right, what have I got next for you? Uh, this is by a folklorist, I.G. Greer and his wife. I guess we're in the theme of husbands and wives singing right now. Uh, this is I.G. Greer and his wife doing The Three Little Babes. And after that, you will hear Lizzie Ellison do the same thing. This is Dust on the Decks. Golden one, 
certain thing might sound misleading. Take it off, take it off, said the oldest one. Take it off, we say again. Oh, 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 oh to this wicked world. So long since pride began. She spread the table far than there, all covered with cakes and wine, and said, Come me to my three little babes, come me and drink of mine We do not want your cakes, mammy We do not want your wine For in the morning by the break of day Well, the Savior, we must die Children, she had three. She sent them off to the North Country for to learn those grammarly. For to learn those grammarly. They hadn't been gone but a very short while. Here's three.